Good morning and welcome. How are you? Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Uh, I just want to mention this as we're turning the corner here uh, on seasons and with the prevailing coronavirus uh, threat going on. Uh, we just want to encourage anyone, if you're feeling sick, please stay home. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. But we don't want to spread that kind of joy, okay? And, uh, and you know what? If, if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, wear a mask, okay? Um, you know, there's so many different pressures uh, on, on folks, you know. The, it's amazing how divisiveness comes, you know, against those who aren't wearing a mask or those who are wearing a mask. It's crazy out there. And uh, so if you feel comfortable wearing a mask, by golly, you can wear that mask, okay? And if you don't, uh, that's your option, all right? So with that, uh, we're at uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18 this morning. And we're told, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men, you ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, Well, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Peter, arise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time has entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you by words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as he, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, and how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. Then they glorified God, saying, Then God has granted, also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, how awesome, how good you are. We love you, Lord. We, we praise you today. And Lord, we pray as it just kind of spoke to my heart just reading that verse. Lord, uh, perhaps... There's someone here this morning, Lord, that needs to be, Lord, baptized in your Holy Spirit, filled with your love, your grace. Lord, do it. Do it, we pray. Lord, uh, we're so thankful for all that we have in Christ. And yet, Father, uh, this morning, <clears throat> our hearts and our thoughts go out to our brothers and sisters, Lord, those Christians in Afghanistan, missionaries. Lord, uh, just the homegrown believers there, Lord, uh, they may be facing certain death. So we pray, Lord, you'd watch over them, you'd be with them. And also, Lord, uh, uh, 16 years ago today, uh, Katrina hit. Lord, roughly the same place is going to hit today. And we pray, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace, for your protection. We pray for your people there, Lord, how that you'd watch over them and and protect them in this uh, very dangerous uh, event, Father. 
So, Lord, we pray for your word that you would speak to us afresh today. Lord, we're so thankful for your marvelous grace. And, Lord, meet with us now. We open our hearts to you. In Jesus' precious name, Father, amen. Well, uh, we entitle this Contending for the Brethren because that's, in a sense, what Peter has to do as he goes back to, uh, back to Jerusalem. And I would think sometimes uh, the, the Lord's, I think, always contending for new believers, you know, sometimes he has to kind of nudge us and push us, you know, to get out and witness and share our faith with, with somebody. Uh, you know, he says he came to seek and save that which is lost. And he's always, uh, he always has that in the back, you know, that we've, we've said that, you know, God isn't saving nations. He isn't saving all of our material stuff. He's saving people. And, um, and he wants to use us, you know, in that whole process. You know, he could do it, and sometimes he does it, like he did with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I think he had to do it with the Apostle Paul because everybody was too afraid, you know, because he was sort of like this, you know, this, this hit man uh, against the church. And, and I think, uh, I don't blame him. Uh, I would have probably felt the same, and even Ananias had certain, you know, just reservations about, you know, going and, and laying his hands on Paul uh, at that particular point. But yet... We see how God, his ways are so, so different. So here Peter has experienced this incredibly liberating event uh, that God's spirit would be poured out upon the Gentiles. But word has very quickly made it back to Jerusalem. And they were not happy with Peter because, uh, you know, he was, he was eating. He was eating and drinking with those Gentiles. You know, how despicable that he could do that. But, you know, God had to set him free. God had to set him free, you know, from you know, just uh, certain taboos and things of that nature. And he does that with us, too. He, he's always setting us free in some kind of way, uh, you know, that he could put us in a circumstance and a situation where maybe we would not go. With people, we would not choose, you know, to be around because, again, you know, and he, he uses, you know, it's like he's using, um, not only is he using Peter, but he's working in Peter. You know, that, that, isn't that so true that when he uses us, he's also, too, working in us, he's freeing us, you know, from different, you know, attitudes and issues that we may have, not even aware of that or maybe not wanting to deal with it or maybe not having revelation, you know, regarding, you know, certain truths that God's trying to imprint, you know, upon our lives. And, of course, that was the case here, you know, with Peter. You know, there are certain prejudices and certain practices, they die hard. Uh, the certain things, you know, that we may have carried for a certain period of time, for a length of time, and particularly even for us as Christians, um, you know, when it comes to certain traditions, certain things that we may be holding on to and, and living for. And the thing about traditions is, you know, they're not all bad. We have to understand that there are good traditions. But again, the question here that, that becomes us in this situation, are traditions, you know, are they based on truth? Are they based on the Bible? Uh, that's the important thing. I think every church, every church has its traditions. Uh, some of them are not biblical. Um, some of, the, you know, and some of them are, and we want to make sure that we have that. But the problem about traditions, and Jesus brings that out in the Gospels, is that sometimes they supersede the truth of God. They, they supersede, you know, biblical revelation. Uh, they may seem right. Um, and sometimes, too, you know, when it comes to traditions, sometimes they can exceed and go beyond, you know, what God originally intended. May, maybe they... Um, you know, seemingly have some kind of connection to the Bible, uh, but sometimes they go a little bit too far, and sometimes they, you know, begin to develop a system of legalism and that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, just certain, certain kinds of things that you feel, you know, that, that a group feels that, you know, people have to jump through these particular hoops uh, in order to really be spiritual or to be, you know, um, you know to be one of them. You know, Jesus would say over in Matthew chapter 15 to religionists of his day, he says this in, in chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 2. He says, why do you, this is the question to him, why do your disciples transgress the condition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? And so, again, the religionists of Jesus' day were very sticklers about this kind of thing. And, you know, it's, uh, we, you know, we like washing our hands and all that sort of thing. But we have to be careful that it doesn't become you know, some litmus test in order, you know, to gauge someone, somebody's spirituality. And so Jesus says this uh, to them. He answered and said to them, why do, you, why do you also transgress the command of God because of your tradition? Now, they had a tradition called Korban. Um, and what it was basically, instead of supporting their parents when their parents got old, 
um, you know, and couldn't afford, you know, there's no Social Security, you know, like we have today. Uh, there may have been some props and so forth for people to fall back on in those cultures, and we talked about that before. Um, you know, the law, the Mosaic law did provide, uh, you know, for that. And one of the interesting, one of the Ten Commandments, what honor uh, your, your mother and your father, uh, honor your parents, and, and also honoring that was taking care of them and so forth. But this group here, the money that they could use perhaps to maybe support and encourage their parents when they're at an age where they couldn't support themselves anymore, they were taking and dedicate, using it. They were saying, Corban was, I'm dedicating this God, so therefore I cannot give that to you kind of a thing. And, uh, and, and the Lord Jesus, he rebukes them for this kind of thing because um, he said you're basically dishonoring uh, your, your mother and your father. And he says to them, um, he says, thus have you made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition or by your belief. And then he goes on to say, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So it's important that, that, you, know, that our you know, that our tradition is biblical, that we're not just passing on some kind of a human tradition as it's been sort of developed over a period of time. And, and all Christian groups, they have their different traditions. And again, we have to assess them. We have to consider, you know, are they truly biblical? Do they really honor God? Are they, or is this basically man-centered theology? And that was something that Jesus had it dealt with more than once. And the interesting thing he's saying here, too, is that hip hypocrisy has a way of neutralizing real worship, okay? And, and that's why obeying God's word is a very important aspect of worship. You know, so often we call the song service, you know, worship. But, you know, as we obey the word, as we hear it, that's worship as well. I think that's very important because sometimes we can sing a lot of different things with, with you know, with, with gusto, but not really living them out. You know, we have to be careful that we don't just become a um, academic kind of Christian where we're studying the Bible all the time, but we're really not applying the Bible. And that's the purpose for the study, right? That we might apply it, that we might live it out as God calls us to do that. Now, we're, we're told here in verse 1 that the apostles and the brethren back in uh, Judea, back in Jerusalem, they heard that the Gentiles you know, had received the word of God. Now, Peter, God is going to use Peter to challenge them to change. And that's why so often he challenges us in certain areas where we need to change. And as it becomes real in our experience, in our life, it has a way wonderfully of replicating change in others. Just like, like, like for us, maybe uh, when, a, when a husband or a father or a, a wife or a mother gets saved, the trickle down, the impact, the effect of that, the inspiration of their life in Christ has an impact to bring change, or at least to encourage change, you know, in that family. Just like sometimes God may save, you know, a certain individual, then they go back to that workplace, and then over a course of time, you know, God has a way of using that person's life to bring change uh, when people begin to, you know, ask questions about their own particular life as they see your life and they see the changes that are taking place, you know, in a, re you know, in a realistic kind of way, genuine changes that take place, you know, within our heart, within our lives. And people are, you know, because people know us, you know, they know, you know, they know our conversations. They know, you know, what we come from. They know a little bit about our history. And they, and they think, well, you know, God has really changed that person. And it's not that you're even broadcasting it. But the fact is, when God changes someone's life, it's recognizable. People see it. They sense it. There's something. God's spirit is upon our life, and people sense that. Um, and sometimes they'll begin to ask themselves, you know, is there hope for me? Do you think maybe, you think maybe, you know, God can change this situation? Maybe can God, you know, I've had, you know, I've had unbelievers uh, over the years come to me for different, you know, different uh, um, prayer requests regarding loved ones. Uh, do you think, you know, do you think that uh, you could pray for my son or my daughter or my, my spouse and uh, here's what's kind of going on in their life kind of a thing? And, of course, that creates a great opportunity, an open door, you know, for the Lord to work in that particular situation. So we're told in verse 2 that when Peter came, uh, he comes up to Jerusalem, uh, those of the circumcision contended with them. And again, these were, these were the strict religionists. These were, these were believers, but they were cleaving more you know, to, to the old things. They, it was very, and that's sometimes, you know, when God saves us, it's hard to let go sometimes, particularly in the area of religion. 
you know, certain traditions that we have. And again, these were believers, and, they're and we're going to find there's going to be some contention later on about that. Uh, because, again, they were just, their relationship wasn't more of about being led by the Spirit, but it was just basically about adhering to the, law, to the rules and regulations, okay, kind of a thing. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, you know, those that are uh, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Not that we ignore the Bible, but it's more than rules and regulations kind of a thing. That relationship is a living relationship, you know, with the Lord. And so they're with those, and they're contending with them. You know, sometimes, you know, we can get kind of set in our ways, you know, about certain things, and we get upset, you know, when maybe we get challenged by that kind of thing because, you know, we don't like losing control. You know, we talk about control freaks, and they're all some, they aren't control freaks everybody else. Aren't they everybody else? They're never us, okay? But the fact of the matter is they are us, you know? And what, what the guys say, you know, I, I, I saw the enemy, and he is us, you know, kind of a thing. And I've always said this before, you know, yeah, I can blame the devil for a lot of things, but I'll tell you what, I'm my worst enemy, okay? Because I'm the one who capitulates, I'm the one who gives in. You know, kind of thing. I can't blame it on Big Red. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's me. You know, I give in. I surrender sometimes uh, too easily with those things. So, so you went into these, you know, that's what they would call Gentiles sometimes, you, these uncircumcised. You know, you went in there and you, you ate with them. Peter, what, you know, what's going on with you? You know, what do you, what do you leave Jerusalem? You're a party animal or something like that, you know, kind of a thing. And, of course, that was not the case. You know, Peter was very careful, you know. Uh, you know, first he, you know, first he's in Gentile territory, then he's in gen a Gentile house, and, and God's Spirit is, you know, pouring out the Spirit upon these Gentiles, and it's new to him. It, it's a totally new thing. You know, Peter just didn't get saved. He didn't fall off the tomato truck just yesterday. He's been saved for quite a while now. But it shows you how sometimes, you know, we hold on to certain, we can hold on to certain kind of prejudices, you know, within our hearts and, and within our minds. And so he begins to Explain to them in verses 4, 5, 6, you know, 7, uh, and 8. And, and the thing I like about his testimony, it's just thoroughly honest. And, and it's even self-deprecating. It's just an honest uh, testimony of what God was basically doing in his life because um, he was not in cooperation. We see that here in the text. He was really not in full cooperation with this. And, and, and that's why he needed a vision. Uh, that's why Cornelius needed a vision. This was big. This was a big thing. There was a big racial divide, you know, in the world of that particular day. And it was only as the Spirit of God just, again, I said, like I said last week, you know, God doesn't just hand out visions, okay? Uh, he gives a vision when somebody needs a vision, um, when, it's, when it's a very important issue. Uh, otherwise, Peter would not be there. Otherwise, Cornelius would not even, you know, because he was, you know, he was a God-fearer, um, and he would not even, you know, uh, suggest that, uh, that uh, you know, basically, you know, Peter would come into his house and that sort of thing. But again, you know, looking what God, you know, wonderfully had worked here. So he says here in verse 5 that he was praying. And then in verse 7 that he heard a voice um, and, uh, and, and, he, and he gets a vision. And, and his story rings true for multiple reasons. First of all, when you're praying, there's no safer place for guidance and direction. When you're praying, God gives inspiration. He, he gives guidance. He, he, he directs you. That, that's one of the safest places, um, you know, to be when you're looking to the Lord for him to direct you and guide you. And that's what Peter's doing here. Secondly, he has a bona fide vision. In other words, this vision really humbled him. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've, once in a while I've heard visions and they don't really sound genuine. They don't sound authentic. They tend to magnify the person the individual, and we don't see that here. Um, you know, if it's a true vision, you know, it magnifies who? The Lord. You know, magnifies his will and, and guidance in that particular way. And so uh, it was kind of a humbling kind of a uh, circumstance for, for Peter. And then we see also, too, in verse 7, he hears a voice. And the voice is telling him to do something that was repulsive to his religious tradition. That he was basically, you know, he was to do something that was basically against all of his, you know, all of those traditions and, uh, um, you know, religious concepts that he had that he was, you know, basically, um, he was to partake of something that was basically taboo to him. 
And again, he needed a vision for this because I don't think if, you know, if there wasn't, if there wasn't a vision like that, something powerful like that, um, he wouldn't have changed. And so God, again, knew exactly what, what he needed. And, and see, in verse 8, he freely admits his resistance. He says, not so, Lord. <laughs> kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? You don't say not so to the Lord, okay? You don't say that. Well, unless you're Peter, okay? We, we see Peter. And the thing I love about Peter, he's honest. He, he's just totally honest. You know, we know that many different times with the Lord, he stuck his foot in his mouth. But, but you know what? He, he, he's God's man. He, he's God's chosen. He, you know, we, we see him deny the Lord three different times. Uh, and yet we see the grace of the Lord just, you know, just recommissioning him. And, and giving him, again, that, that leadership position, you know, over uh, the apostles. And, and again, here, you know, Peter's stand here, he really believed that it was a, you know, he believed he had biblical reasons to stand, to make this stand really against, you know, against Gentiles. But again, uh, he's, he's misapplying, he's misapplying, you know, or he's applying kosher food law to the Gentile people. And sometimes, you know, you can misapply Scripture in, in a certain kind of way where basically it's not accurate. It's not true. And again, he's, he's dealing with kosher you know, dietary law. Um, and, and basically, that's how God you know, uses it to speak to him because he's speaking about people. God's, God, cons, God is concerned. He loves people. And, uh, and again, he, he's applying his personal conviction over biblical revelation. Because remember what the remember Mark at the end of the Gospel of Mark and the end of the Gospel of Matthew both say this and Mark it says this go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, okay, not just the ones you like, not just the ones that are like you kind of thing, but go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says in Mark sixteen, but in uh, Matthew twenty eight it says this go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. He spells it out of all nations. And again, that word nation is basically where we get the word translate Gentile. It's the, it's the Hebrew word goyim. And, um, and, and so the Lord specifically. And so this, the church here and, and God's people have been very slow uh, to do that because it was something that was so ingrained you know, in them because of their tradition. And I think, too, we have to also, I think it, it perhaps maybe poses a question for us. You know, is there some area in our life that we're just sort of waiting to be obedient to the Lord? Is there some area, some issue that we're afraid maybe to take a step of faith? We're afraid to obey the Lord in a certain kind of way. It's maybe some, 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 it's some path we never walked before. And I'll tell you what, if God's leading you, if he's directing you, he's prompting you, um, throw, cast out the fear. You know, take that step of faith. You know, be obedient, you know, to the Lord uh, to do the things that he calls you to do because there's a blessing. There's always a blessing, you know, in this matter, in this matter, this issue um, of obedience. Now, in verse 9 here, <clears throat> Peter goes on, But the voice answered uh, me from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And again, Peter saw that, you know, the world of people outside his little bubble as bothersome and dirty. You know, I think sometimes that can happen to us as believers, as Christians, that we look at the unbelieving world like that. And maybe we feel, maybe we feel their adversity. Maybe we feel their pushback. Maybe they, we feel the fact that they, you know, they don't want our Lord. They don't want anything to do with them. We can feel that sometimes. And so sometimes we can just, we can just develop this attitude you know, towards you know, those outside the family of God. And I think, we, I think that's a danger for us. And God may have to correct that in us if we're maybe you know, looking at a certain people group, uh, maybe looking at you know, basically unbelievers you know, in some kind of way. Because it, you know, God has uniquely created them. And, uh, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about you know the body of christ there's a there's a great diversity um and uh you know he wants to save people not only you know is there diversity there's the, you know different personalities you know some of us come from different you know nationalities and backgrounds and all those kinds of wonderful things and uh and, and it's a beautiful thing to see you know god you know what he has done 
but he hasn't stopped doing it. There, there, again, there may be, there may be certain people that we think, you know, that um, God can't save that group. God, God can't save that person. I know them. You know, I know that individual. They're just a cranky, miserable person. And, and, and I think God likes to surprise us. I, I think he likes to sort of just, you know, burst a little bubble, uh, blow our mind, you know, so to speak, in, in who he wants to save and, and how he wants to reach out and how very simply in a sense that uh, he wants to... Um, he wants to use us, you know. So we may see people a certain way, but I love the way the Lord sees them. He sees them as lost and needy. Isn't he gracious? He, he's so concerned about people. Sometimes our lives, are concer- our lives are concerned about all, you know, piddly, trivial kind of a thing. But he's concerned about people. He loves people. He went to a cross <laughs> to, to bring us into relationship you know, with himself. You know, he, he, he said at one point when he looked at Israel, uh, he said, I see them, you know, as lost sheep. Lost sheep looking for a shepherd. And you know what? That's our world today. People are just lost. They, they may be intelligent. You know, they may be educated. You know, they may <laughs> think they're, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> just leave me alone kind of thing. I'm okay, you're okay. Let's just kind of leave things the way they are kind of a thing. But, you know, people are lost. They're lost without him. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the problems with America uh, is today that, uh, you know, we're just sort of establishing our pride, you know, and our pride and our self-sufficiency and our affluence and all those kinds of things. And they become an insulation around the, you know, around the life. Uh, you know, when, when, when a person's severely needy, uh, they're more willing to open their life up to the Lord. Uh, but that's one of the issues with America today. There's so many things that people can have in their lives that are security. It's a false security. But people are just, they're basically lost, and he sees them as lost. And we have to remember that. You know, our perspective sometimes is so different than the Lord's perspective. And the Bible basically reminds us of that. And so looking at verses 10, um, this, this vision happened three times. Then also, too, we find out there are three men standing at the door. And in their Hebrew thinking, this meant total confirmation. Okay? Because what the Scripture is, uh, everything is established in the mouth of, mouth of two or three. So there was, uh, this was getting established. This was in his, kind, in his kind of thinking. Three different times. God was, say, God was ratifying it, you know, in his, in his you know, Hebrew thinking and in his mind. And it says at that very moment, three men stand at the door as well, being sent to... Uh, you know, from uh, Caesarea. So again, uh, you know, and, and we may have people in our lives like that I- as well. You know, could be a neighbor, could be a coworker. Um, you know, that person. Sometimes the most like, unlikely person in our life can be, our, can be our mission, can be the person that maybe God wants to give us some kind of a breakthrough um, in sharing our faith with that particular person. And, you know, sometimes too, um, we can have an attitude towards another believer, another believer who just kind of, you know, that person bugs me. That person really gets under my skin, you know, kind of a thing. You know, you, so you move churches, you go to the other church, and, and guess what? They show up too at the other church. What are you going to do, okay? So verse 12 here, <clears throat> the Spirit told me to go. To go with them, uh, doubting nothing. And, and again, we talked about it last week. Uh, it was important for him to bring six other people with him. He had witnesses. This was big. This was big. And I think the Holy Spirit prompted him to do that. I mean, it was just Peter going back to Jerusalem, and, and, you, know, uh, you know, with all the leadership there. They would have said, well, Peter, do you have any, do you have any proof? Do you have any witnesses? That, that was big. That, that was a big thing. Um, and rightfully so within Judaism to have witnesses. And so he takes uh, along, you know, six different individuals. And, um, you know, there, there are things, you know, that are in our lives, different things in our life that can really keep us from the will of God. You know, keep us from obeying the Lord. And, you know, it could be fear, it could be worry. You know, it could be like we see here, some biased belief, some attitude, some past failure, you know, some, something that... Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, it's amazing how we can become inflexible and rigid 
in our own personal theology. We can be maybe rigid the way we sort of gauge other people, judge other people. But you know what happens is also, too, we, when, we, when we have that, we can be very rigid even about ourselves, about our, our failures, you know, our, our, the issues, you know, in our lives, in, in those sorts of things. And, uh, and, you know, the thing about, uh, you know, faith and, and feeling, they really oppose one another. You know, they are mutually exclusive, this whole matter of faith and feeling. But you know what? We are such, we are such a feeling-oriented people. You know, we're praising the Lord when we feel good. But when you get up in the morning and you feel heavy, and you feel oppressed, and it's cloudy out, it's December or January, and you're just thinking, can I get to Florida or can I, can I survive to, to March or April kind of a thing? And it's amazing how oftentimes, you know, as believers that we can allow feelings to just drive us. But God calls us to faith, doesn't he? He calls us to this thing of faith that, that, it, that it goes beyond, you know, way beyond our feelings. You know, sometimes we can feel, well, you know, this simply, you know, this situation isn't going to work. And just because maybe we hit some adversity or a, a, a barricade or a barrier of some kind. And, uh, you know, it says about Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4, Paul speaking about Abraham says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And remember, God told him, basically him and Sarah, that they were going to have a child, a promised child. They are going, going to have Isaac. And when he, they finally had Isaac, you know, that, that's his name. It means laughter. But imagine, people don't have babies in their 90s. Sarah's 90. Abraham's 99. I'd always kind of laugh about his name. Abraham. Can you imagine when he came into new territory and met people? Well, my name's Abraham. What's that mean? Uh, father of a multitude. Well, you must have a lot of kids, Abraham. Uh, matter of fact, I don't have any. No kids at all. And probably, probably could kind of snicker. You know, what's wrong with him? Where did he get that name? Kind of a thing. But it wasn't by feeling. It, it, it wasn't by even the circumstances. It shows you faith in God, trust in God is the greater reality. And God calls us to look to him. That's what trust is, to look to him in the face of all kinds of challenging, difficult circumstances. Well, I feel a certain way. You know, it said that Paul said that about Abraham. He didn't waver. When he got to be 95 and God promised him when he was 70... Here's, a, here's, here's Abraham and Sarah sitting at the table. She's in her late 80s. He's 95. Well, honey, what do you think the Lord's waiting for? <laughs> well, Abe, you think this is going to work out? And he would say, God told me. Abe, honey, you're at 95. That's okay. God told me. God spoke. I mean, almost unbelievable, but it's it's believable because of God and and what God can do. And and the Bible's a constant reminder, don't let our circumstances defeat us. And we struggle with them because we look at the circumstances and say, well, man, that's reality. No, faith is. And trust in God is the greater reality. And that's why so often in this life, it's called the life of faith. It's not just we believe and then we come into this glorious, wonderful life. Our faith is so often challenged. That's what's happening here to Peter. His faith is simply being challenged. And he could look back at all of his failures, all the times that he messed up, And he could allow that to defeat his present and his future, but he didn't. Because everybody's got baggage. We all have our setbacks. We all have our failures. We all have our struggles with certain things. 
Uh, author John Ortberg uh, is speaking about Peter on the subject of doubt and failure. Let me read this to you. It spoke to my heart. The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. Peter never had to leave Jerusalem. And, and sometimes, too, you know, we think that as we hold back, we'll be more comfortable like that. But you know what? The Spirit of God won't let us. He won't let us hold back because He loves us so much. He's always going to be nudging us, always going to be prompting us. So he said it involves, it's a choice, it involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means that the follower of Jesus must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of life. That, that's a challenge for us Americans. Comfort. We talk about our comfort zone. We talk about our Christianity being convenient. See, if you want convenient Christianity, you will never do anything. You will never do anything. He calls us out of our comfort zone. He calls us. This was inconvenient for Peter to do this. But God says, hey, I'm with you. God says, I'll, be, I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll hold your hand. Just trust me and do it. The author goes on <coughs> about comfort being the ultimate value of life, and that's sobering news to us because we're into comfort. But water walkers master failure. Did Peter fail? Failure is not an event, but rather a judgment about an event. Failure is not something that happens to us or a label we attach to things. It is the way we think about the outcome. Did Peter fail? Well, I suppose, in a way he did. His faith wasn't strong enough. Talking about when he got out of the boat. And the Lord said, come to me. He got out of the boat. And he was walking on the water and eventually he sunk. We know that. His doubts were stronger. He saw the wind. He took his eyes off where, of where they should have been. He sank he failed. But here's what I think. I think there were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat. They, they failed quietly. They failed privately. Their failure went unnoticed, unobserved, uncriticized. Only Peter knew the shame of public failure. But only Peter knew two things other things as well. Only Peter knew the glory of walking on water. He alone knew what it was to attempt to do what he was not capable of doing on his own. But then feeling, the feeling of euphoria, of being empowered by God to actually do it. Once you walk on the water, you will never forget it. No, not for the rest of your life. And when he talks about walking on the water, he's just talking about doing something that's we consider impossible. And none of us will probably ever walk on water. Maybe the closest you'll get to it is skiing, but you're not going to walk on water. But, but there are so many great challenges that God has for you, for me. I know one thing. I know one thing. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I don't want to live my life and have regrets about what God wanted, what was leading me to do, and I held back. I don't want that for you either. I think the life of faith is a wonderful life. I may not do the things that Billy Graham did or Luis Palau or even Johnny Erickson Tata. But I want to respond, you know, in such a way that, Lord, if you're calling me, you're calling us to do something, man, by the grace of God, let's do it. Let's, let's step out of our convenience, our comfort zone. 
Let's, let's wonderfully break the ice and let God wonderfully do something that maybe would otherwise just simply, it would be impossible. That's our God. That's his magnanimous, his wonderful grace. So looking at uh, verses 15 here, what happens next, Peter could not predict, he could not control, because you know what? God's doing it. God's doing it. God is wonderfully sovereign here. And one thing I love about the Lord, you know what? He's so spontaneous and unpredictable. I think he loves to surprise us with a blessing. Now look what Peter says. As I began to speak, as he rehearses this to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I just so long to see that. You know, we, we uh, I don't know if the Lord's going to work a revival. But I'll tell you what, man, I, I hope he does. I hope he does. I'll tell you what, we need it. The church needs it. America needs it. Yeah, when's the last time you prayed for that? Lord, pour out your spirit. We, we need a mini Pentecost. And we're reading about the first one to the Gentile world. And it began a chain of events that have lasted for these last 2,000 years. God pouring himself into hearts and to lives. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. often thought about as a pastor, it would be so wonderful as I'm here in the pulpit to witness God's spirit just being poured out on everybody. I don't know if it'll ever happen. It's one of my dreams. <laughs> Probably just a dream. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Just God filling people up. In our services, we don't usually encourage people to speak in tongues. But if that happens, you're okay, man. If that happens, go for it. And it, look what he says here in verse 7. If therefore God gave them the same gift, speaking of the Holy Spirit, as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? You know, his, the thing about faith and obedience, it, it kind of, it, it replicates itself. It, it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like a contagion, a holy contagion. It's like a, it's like a holy virus. And sometimes God, sometimes God waits for you and for me to be obedient to him. that's going to enable him to work in someone else's life. That contagion, that wonderful virus of belief and trust. We see that here with, with, with Peter. He was blown away that, man, he gave them the same gift. He poured out the Holy Spirit on them just like he did on us in the beginning. And how can I stop that? It was God, God's hand. And what's happening here is for Peter, he's shaken off an old attitude. You know, like I said, you know, uh, prejudice and practices, man, they die hard. But the, but the one who's able to put them down and put them to death is the Lord Jesus Christ, his spirit working in us, revealing those things to us. There's something about the Holy Spirit that when he's working your life, he reveals things to you. He's, he's opening things. He's opening up our understanding. We're beginning to see things differently. And I remember it when, it, when it first began to happen for me, he was, you know, I, I hadn't really committed my life to him yet. But I was just seeing things so differently. You know, being around these Christians 
And of course, Margie was saved at that point, and um, you know, I was watching, you know, watching changes in her, and 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 people confronted me with truth in a loving way, and and I began to just sort of question, you know, what is this? You know, I I I had religion, I grew up with religion, you know, kind of a thing, but this is different because it's a relationship, it's a personal relationship in God's Spirit. He begins to strive with us begins to work with us. He begins to reveal himself. He reve- the Holy Spirit reveals to us the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's like. And again, this Peter's change was inspiring change in other people, other men. And we see that in verse 18. And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they pondered them. Because why? This was big. It was big for them. You know, sometimes we, we read it in a narrative, in a story. And we don't always get the, the impact of it. But this was big. There was silence. How long that silence was for? Well, we're not told that. All we have there is a, a comma or a semicolon. But they thought about it. And the Holy Spirit brought change in them as well. They glorified God. Glorified God because, you know, they got on the wagon of what God wanted to do. And perhaps maybe at that moment they realized, well, Messiah is not just for us. It's for everybody. Because there's only one true and living God created all humanity. <laughs> and there had been hints all the way through. We, we were just studying Isaiah, uh, the prophecies of Isaiah on, on Wednesday night. There were so many references to what God's going to do in the Gentile world. He was preparing them all along. He said it right at the get-go. Right at the get-go. He saved Abraham, Genesis 12. You're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. What I'm going to do through you. I'm going to save them. <laughs> it's going to come through you. You're not going to get the whole picture, Abraham. You're going to come and go. I mean, th- think, about, think about the Old Testament saints. Think about these guys and, and gals. Think about them. They only had part of the picture. They, they had faith, but their faith was looking forward to Messiah, what Messiah would do. See, we, we, have, we have hindsight. We can look back and see what the Lord has done because of Calvary, because of the cross, because of him rising from the grave. Look what he's done in changing, transitioning lives, affecting countries and and continents. That just doesn't happen uh, other than the fact that God did it. God's marvelous, incredible grace. And Peter, remember Jesus said to Peter, giving you the keys to the kingdom. And here he, on Pentecost, he opens the gospel to his own people. They're there at Passover. Pentecost, boom, one day, 3,000 people come to Christ. Now here in this Gentile mini Pentecost, Peter has the keys. He opens the door. And here's the blessed thing. You and I, have keys to open up opportunities, to share the gospel, to tell them that they can be forgiven, that God will come into their life, that the Holy Spirit will change them. Our key comes in the, in the sense of the gospel message and what we share. So when they heard these Things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, <laughs> probably like a capitulation, well, <laughs> then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. So we see here again belief in God's revealed word. It brings, it brings transition. It brings change. 
And as a result, they become inclusive. Never a little exclusive before. But all of a sudden, they become very uh, inclusive and also to very optimistic. Because now the horizon has greatly been expanded to all the world. Before we close in prayer, I'd like to ask you this morning if anyone would like to just surrender your life to him. If you'd like to do that, I would ask you to be bold. Stand up. You want to surrender your life? Yes, God bless you, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Okay. You know what? That deserves. <laughs> Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you. Thank you for the glorious gospel message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah for all mankind. Thank you for coming into our hearts, into our lives. And Lord, as you have changed us and continue to do so, oh Lord, let us be an instrument, a conduit, Lord, in your hand, to bring life and hope and encouragement Lord, to others. We're so thankful. We're thankful, Lord, the example of Peter. Lord, such an imperfect man, but a man who loved you with all of his heart. He didn't allow the failures of the past, Lord, the fears of the future, he didn't allow any of that to hinder him from what you wanted to do. And may that be our story as well. Not held back by fear, by worry or what people think or some other, some other issue, Lord, within our lives. So, Lord, I pray as we go. Lord, uh, we're soon to move into another season. We thank you. What a great summer it's been, Lord. And I pray that, Father, as we move into this new season, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, do protect us, I pray, from this, this coronavirus we hear once again it's risen up, Lord, in certain areas of our country. Lord, we, we look to you. You said you were also to uh, our great physician. You said you were Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And so we pray, Lord, uh, we know certain people even at this point that are sick. Lord, may you just reach out and touch them, we pray, Father. We ask you to do it, Lord, by your mercy. By your grace, we pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you all.